Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforce technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforce technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. All righty, so greetings for from wherever or whenever you're listening, and welcome to welcome and thank you for once again turning into the Perspectives on Leadership podcast, uh, brought to you by Fire Engineering. My name is Steve Shaw. I'm very proud to be an assistant chief at Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. I'm also honored to be a part of the Fire Engineering family as an author, a presenter at FDIC, and a host for this podcast. Uh, I know that there's a lot of amazing podcasts out there, and I'm truly honored that you're choosing to listen to this one. There's a ton of good things to digest out there, and the fact that you're listening to this, it uh, it makes me very happy. We're doing our best to give you the best content out there. Uh, for myself, I continue to be that consummate student of leadership, and I'm grateful for this platform, uh, for the value it provides those who listen, and the opportunity it provides me to grow as a leader within Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. In the last conversation I had with Chief Halton, uh, he mentioned that FDIC was a tactics conference. So not just firefighting, but with everything, leadership, training, mentorship, whatever whatever you want to talk about. And no matter what we do, no matter what we talk or presented or spoke on, that we should always focus on the tactical ways for our listeners or readers to model or deploy these ideals in the real world. So in that spirit and in his honor, I will continue to focus uh, on those tactics as well as the um, the concepts. So thank you for everything, Chief Halton. I continue to be fascinated by how our perspectives affect the, our ability to lead. Perspective is that lens which we view through, and it also at times becomes a lens that, lens that other people view through. And it's a very powerful tool in the toolbox of a leader. So the goal of this tool, this podcast continues to be pretty straightforward, to take a concept or a trait that we associate with leadership and take a deep dive down that rabbit hole. Our fire service continues to be filled with amazing leaders, and each have their own perspective on leadership. I want to pick their brains and allow them to provide as many tactical, immediately deployable takeaways as possible to the listener. I'm forever grateful to Fire Engineering and Chief Halton for allowing me to have this platform so that I could do my part in passing it on to my brothers and sisters in the fire service. So uh, I got to speak to Dina Ali uh, over uh, the last few years a few times. And most recently, she's been my uh, my guide, I guess, in seeking out books articles, uh, papers on various topics that I consider her to be well-versed in, or maybe even a subject matter expert in. And these things range from everything from firefighter mental health to sleep issues to suicide prevention uh, to various coping mechanisms to deal with the stresses of a job. And it's comforting to know that there are individuals who are championing these important spaces in our field and that this group is is growing. It's, it's comforting to feel that. So last month, 
Dina wrote this really great article in Fire Engineering Magazine that focused on the organizational factors that lead to stress, as opposed to what we traditionally do in focusing on the calls that we run that lead to that stress. Uh, the impetus for this article after talking to her uh, came from right after listening to Chief Rhodes' keynote speech at FDIC. And the content of the article ranged from everything from the power of human connection and relationships to resilience and psychological safety. And not to blow her skirt up or anything, but it's one of the best articles I've read in some time. And I'm still kind of going through and diving into pieces of that. Um, so I've been thinking about asking Dina to join me over the podcast for some time. But this article was my impetus to ask her. And she graciously accepted. So I'm very excited to discuss this article but especially the topic of relationships and the role they play in our field as well as in our lives. So before I, I, I dive into to giving her the stage here, um, I wanna give her a quick bio. So she's a battalion chief with Raleigh, North Carolina Fire Department. Uh, she previously served as a police officer for five years. Dina has her master's of public administration from the University of North Carolina, Pembroke, where she her research focused on firefighter suicide. As a graduate student, she was awarded the 2018 MPA Student of the Year. Dina has received numerous awards throughout her career and is an advocate for, of awareness, education, and understanding of mental health disorders and suicidality, and speaks nationally on these topics. She has written numerous articles on the topics. Um, she's involved with peer support, wellness, post-traumatic stress. Uh, Dina is the founder and director of the North Carolina Peer Support, where she's helped to develop their statewide curriculum. And she's also a founding member of the Carolina Brotherhood, which is a group of firefighters, cyclists in North Carolina who honor the fallen and their families annually. So last three things I was thinking about as I was prepping for this for this. One, having just coming back from FDIC, the first thing I thought of was that dichotomy between being a student and being a teacher. Though both of us are instructors in our respective positions, we always must be students. And it's always a powerful thing to watch those who take the stage here, but then immediately follow that up by sitting in the audience, in the classroom, taking notes, and continuing to be an example of what a student of the fire service is. So that uh, that was always powerful for me. The second thing I was thinking of is the power of our words. Uh, when Chief Rose gave his keynote during FDIC, it, it was the keynote that we all needed to hear. And it was a reminder that our words have weight and those impact and effects of those words can be exponential. And the last thing I was thinking of was this concept of organizational leadership and the stresses evolved around that. Um, the portion of our article had me reflecting for a moment on, on what I am doing. Am I doing everything that my people need? Am I thinking about things like their safety, both physical and psychological? Am I thinking about their mental health? And am I doing everything in my power from where I stand to, fo to focus in on that? So uh, that all being said, um, you know, this is going to be an exciting conversation. I really appreciate you having her on. And, and Dina, thank you for being on this. I, I'm very excited about this conversation. No, thanks for having me. Like, it really is. I know people say all the time, like, it's an honor. But it really is an honor. This is a cool platform. Uh, you have spoken to some really incredible people. And honestly, like you said, I, I, I'm a student of leadership. And part of that is because I feel like, for me, uh, it's a struggle. I'm challenged. And so uh, I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm not the right person to come on this uh, because I'm not an outstanding, great leader. However, like we talked about before, I, I'm constantly just trying to improve and study. And I think uh, that's important, too. Yeah, I hear you. And so, you know, there's a lot. And just reading through the article, I, I, I had to be very careful with what I was planning to ask you, because I think that there's so much to dive into and so many different angles that all the stuff you put in there could take us down multiple tangents and multiple rabbit holes. But 
it was it was a struggle. I struggled trying to put together an idea of what we could talk about. And I had struggled also with what to focus on because there's so much to dive into. Um, but let me start off with this because I think this will help kind of guide the conversation. So you've been an advocate in so many areas in, in this firefighter stress space. Um, where did it come from? What's that origin story look like? Where, where did it all start from? Where, where did it come from? I think like anybody else who has really taken taking control of a certain aspect, whether it is leadership or mental health, it comes from your own experiences. And for me, I was, I like a lot of people, I went through a really hard time and I struggled with my mental health. I was depressed. I had thoughts of suicide. And in that time, we were not having these conversations. There was not a lot of information out there and the understanding was extremely limited. I know for me, the hardest part of all of it was when I was struggling, it wasn't because of a really bad call. It wasn't because I had lost you know, somebody really close or was dealing uh, with something like an illness. It, to me, seemed really insignificant and childish and immature that it was bothering me. So I bottled it up. Fortunately for me at the time, I had just started graduate school and really didn't have much of a direction. I I'd signed up because I just wanted a challenge. I wanted to see if I could do it. I was at a slower firehouse where we weren't running a lot of calls. I felt like I was getting stale. So graduate school was simply, a, let me let me just see what I can do here. And in that time when I was just at my lowest, I was given an assignment for action research. So research an area where current practices are not best practices and try to help develop better practices. So I reached out to our then safety officer, Chief Hobson, and asked him, you know, can you recommend a subject that I could research that could benefit our department? And he recommended firefighter suicide. So this was fall of 2015, literally very little information out there at the time on firefighter suicide. But the first article that I pulled up to, you know, like everybody, every other great graduate student goes to Google and types in their subject, right? <laughs> and I actually, there were three things I pulled up and looking back, I still reference those, which is remarkable because now, as you know, when you're researching, you have to like filter through a lot of BS <laughs> to find good information. Uh, and I'm really, and it's almost like fate, I guess, brought some of this stuff uh, for me. So one of the first articles I read was a dissertation by Dr. Sabia. She was a, she's a psychologist, but she, she did her dissertation on firefighter suicide. And basically, she looked at every death certificate of every firefighter in North Carolina over a 15-year period. And that's where the number of firefighters are three times more likely to die by suicide came from, because she found three times as many suicides as line-of-duty deaths. But what was really interesting about her research that didn't get picked up, what got picked up was that number. And we just love to throw that number out there um, and almost victimize ourselves. Like, we are more likely to die by suicide than in the line of duty and not offer solutions. However, in her dissertation, she offered a lot of information and she offered a lot of solutions. And one of the things she discussed was uh, some of the stuff that Chief Rhodes mentioned while standing on the stage, uh, like the harassment, poor leadership. She also discussed uh, females and minorities and the struggle to fit in and belong. Uh, but what she said that really struck me was that at times for us as first responders, we can really feel like our problems are insignificant compared to the problems of the world. And when we're struggling, we silence ourselves because we don't want to burden others. And also we don't think our problems are worthy. 
But unfortunately, when you do that, when you don't address your problems, no matter how small they are, when you suffer in silence, it builds into a big crisis. Uh, and she and she talked about that, and she talked about the fear of you know being vulnerable, uh, and the fear of that alienation. And so, a couple other articles I pulled up then also hit on those things, and those were literally uh, the feelings I was having in that moment. Up until starting the research, I felt lost. I felt alone. Uh, I felt crazy. I was afraid, you know, you'd hear like, call the suicide prevention lifeline if you're having thoughts of suicide. And I was having thoughts of suicide, but I was deathly afraid of calling that number because I thought it would send, you know, first responders and then I would be labeled and all that that comes from that. But as I got into the research, I no longer felt that way. I, I started to understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And that was really helpful and at the same time, I fortunately had a really good friend who I think picked up that something was going on and he just kept checking in. And most of the times when he checked in, I blew him off. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to share. I didn't want to express what I was going through, but he didn't give up. And finally, one day he called and it was just a particularly rough time. And I just laid it all out for him, told him everything that was going on. Ugly cry, snot nose, all the good stuff. And his response was just really powerful. He was like, dude that effing sucks. You know, I, I hate this. And the way he said it, it, the words didn't matter that he used. I could feel the emotion in his voice. He was hurting because he knew I was hurting and he cared about me enough that it affected him. And for me, that was the first time I felt like I was worthy, if that makes any sense. Um, and that my pain uh, was worthy. And so just that connection from him, just his empathy, like pulled a little bit of weight off my shoulders and I was able to just start moving forward. So I, as I started just going further into the research, I kind of had that mission. I had that meaning. The research, you know, kept talking about the value of peer support. It talked about, you know, the growing issue of suicide. And I, I wanted to solve that issue. I felt like I wanted to, you know, make a difference. And so uh, you hear a lot of people talk about research and they call it me search. Uh, that's absolutely true. <laughs> I got involved in my me search uh, and it's been such an incredible journey ever since it's brought me like, here right now. So that's really, really cool. So here's, here's the first problem. I'm already starting to take notes and I know I'm going to need more than one page. Typically I can shove everything into one page. I know this is going to take me at least two. So let me just, First of all, I'm trying to just recall some of the notes I've already taken down, and I, I got some just comments on some of these things you said. Yeah, and I, I can definitely feel your pain. Having gone through a master's program, uh, having to sort through all of that information because there's a ton out there, it was an interesting dichotomy because you're searching through a lot of it. But then again, like you said, there's not a lot out there. And it seems like, at least lately, there's been a lot more put out there, not only by yourself and other people, but it's nice to know that it's more accepted, it's more researched. And like Chief Rhodes was talking about, like we heard about a lot of FDIC, there's so much more research that's happening right now in the fire service on everything from flow pass to ventilation, but especially in this area right now. And it's nice to know that there's a push and there's more information out there. But I think one of the things you said here was that caught me uh, was you had a friend that was checking in on you. So I just got done talking to Travis House, uh, who's um, you know, the he used to be a comedian. Now he, he speaks on, on this, this front in multiple areas. And one of the things that I caught in this book was the fact that uh, there was a line in there that says, after presenting so many red flags out there, nobody ever stood up and said, hey, is everything OK? And the fact that you had that person not only asking you, but keep asking you. 
that's that's impactful. I mean, how many people do we know? It's one. It's easy to sometimes it's not easy, but it's it's one thing to identify people who you kind of feel are struggling and and, and ask them how they're they're doing. But a lot of times you don't know. They don't show. It's hard for people to see what's actually going on. People hide it pretty good. But even then, they need that that check in as well. So it's nice that you had that support system, those relationships that kept up with you. That didn't just ask you one yeah you know, one and done. But they kept diving into it. That's that's pretty powerful. Um, and and you know, I, I also when you mentioned it wasn't one specific instance that that brought you to where that that place in your life was. Is that I think there's that still that commonality where we we see so much and do so much as, as firefighters, as first responders, that we feel like sometimes we don't we can't do that. We can't be the ones to show that. But like you said, from this conversation and other conversations, at least there's a, a an improve at least from what I've seen in my area right here in South Florida, and we have a pretty robust system. There's a more acceptance of it, the more ability to to ask for help, show it out there, and not be ashamed when we need help. So this is this is a good start, and I'm going to try to stop there because this is a great start to uh, the conversation. But um, let me let me dive into the FDIC for a second. So we just came back both from presenting at FDIC. Um, for you, from this time around, what were some of your takeaways that that you left the, this time around from? I think there's always so many, and it takes a little while to digest. So obviously, this article, the main takeaway when uh, Chief Rhodes did his keynote. It really caught me off guard in a really good way because, you know, I'd always known of Chief Rhodes and he's the Georgia smoke diver, like daddy. He, you know, is just this super respected individual with this incredible pedigree. And for people like me, you look at people like him and don't think he truly understands some of the adversity some of us have faced. And for years, the, the biggest challenge for me is getting people like him, uh, people who, you know, are just these typical leaders to understand some of our experiences and the pains that we go through. So when he got up there and he spoke and then he, he hit on poor management, but he took it further and talked about harassment and exclusion and wanting to contribute but be silenced man, it like just struck a chord with me and got my wheels spinning tremendously. And, you know, that article was done the Tuesday after FDIC. <laughs> I enjoyed writing it because, you know, it, it's you mentioned the citations in it and I love the citations in it. It's some of like the greatest thought leaders and they're not military leaders or fire service leaders. There are a couple of military leaders, but it's thought leaders like Adam Grant, Simon Sinek, uh, Stephen Covey. And it was just so fun to bring all of those people together um, and bring the messages that they're expressing together to share. But this year, a huge takeaway for me at FDIC, there were a couple of, and it was just unique. So last year I had just made battalion chief. So I was so focused on taking all the command and control classes, trying to improve my skills as a chief. This year I still hit a couple of those, but what I think struck me was people like you, Corley Moore, a couple other people I connected with who are doing amazing things in their circles. Uh, Basil Ibrahim, uh, just some of these, uh, Jay Bonifield, some of these like young people who have found points of interest in, in, in their own departments and have focused on creating better practices. And now they have a voice on this big stage and we look to them and admire them. I know from conversations with you, 
five years ago, you and I never expected to be at FDIC, never thought that maybe we'd write a book or have a conversation like this. But what I walked away was recognizing, and in Corley Moore's book, I don't know if you've read it. Um, yep. Yeah, he mentioned a quote about uh, if you you know, study your field one hour a day, in five years, you will be a subject matter expert in the top like 1%. And I recognize the truth to that, that any of us like common folk, if you dedicate yourself just an hour a day, which isn't a lot, if you dedicate yourself, you could be an expert in your field. And I think it's really important and necessary, especially people like you and I, who are working and engaged and we're on the front lines. Um, Chief Halton always had this line uh, that stuck with me and it always will stick with me is skin in the game. We have skin in the game and it's important to have our voices heard, but it's also more important for us to be trying to find better practices, researching not just within our fields, but using the resources from fields outside of ours because why reinvent the wheel? There are people out there who are way smarter than us, who've done a lot more work than us. They're sharing really good messages and we need to bring that back. So this year, FDIC just running into people like you who are doing really good things just inspired me to continue um, to be humble, be focused, uh, continue to be a student of the game because we're needed. The fire service is not gonna take steps forward if we don't continue to research and use the skin that we have in the game to make our messages be heard. I, um, you know, with my subject matter, mental health, and I, I wish there was another name for it because like when you hear mental health and people talk about mental health, you, you have people who are like, I'm healthy, I don't need that, forget it. But everybody needs to focus in on their mental health because it's 100% of who we are every day. There are a lot of good research articles. Me and you were talking about the peer-reviewed stuff uh, getting published daily. And there, there's a lot of really good information in those articles, but it's not getting to the boots on the ground. So you and I, with our experiences, can take from those articles and you know pull out what's necessary, the recommendations that are needed, um, and then share them in a way that members of like the fire service can can you know glean from them and use them and, and it's important so very long answer sorry uh, but you know the big takeaway was continue being focused engaged going outside of our business getting information and getting it out there so it was you know it was a great answer to what i asked and i think that a couple of things you know what we've done or what we've tried to do is what is expected of us from our organizations like for example my, my fire chief steve bowen he's very clear about it he goes well we'll send you the conferences it's not about the money it's about the return on investment yeah what are you bringing back what are you doing with that knowledge and i think about that a lot and i think about okay we just came back from this conference what are we doing and a lot of times i think that some people play that game where they say it. Oh, yeah, it's about the return on investment. What are you bringing back? No, I'm I'm being held accountable now. I'm I have to give a narrative. I'm 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 scheduling classes. I'm scheduling follow-ups with different vendors and different uh, the people that wrote different books. And there's an expectation. I I like that challenge. I think that's important that we are held accountable. That's that standard. Um, but I think that and not to not to put you on the stage again, but you did exactly what we are is expected. In other words, 
you listened to a guy, you were you were inspired, and boom, you wrote an article that is impacting multiple people. And it goes back to some of the simple things like, you know, Chief Rhodes and Fire Jurians, they're always telling people, write articles, write articles, write articles. And I don't think a lot of people hear that. I don't think the people a lot of people realize it's not just because you should be writing an article. It's it's more than that. It's one, it's succession planning. It's getting people out there that are interested and have a passion in a topic. Here's your chance. Here's your platform. Write an article and let's start there. But in this case, you're doing the work beyond that. I mean, we're already on that stage and we're not only uh, we're aware of it. But we're we're cognizant of the fact that it's not just a oh I made it we're good no it's, it's now the work really begins on this platform with this 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 platform we've been given now it's more entitled for us to to write articles and get things out there and to provide things for people to maybe inspire them or use as a reference like you did in your article so I think that I, you definitely did it right and I think that you mentioned also and this is something that you mentioned that kind of triggers something I find myself looking because you and I are both readers. I think you're a lot better than it than I am. I'm trying to just keep up with you because I, I what I'm finding now is that the challenge is I look at my bookshelf and I look at all the books across that shelf. And here's where I know I've struggled is I look at some of the books and I can remember certain things I've learned from it or gleaned from it. I look at some and I'm like, oh crap, I I can't remember anything significant from that read. So I find myself rereading books and trying to either take notes that I'm, I'm actively deploying or conversations and i use notes from that from that so i can remember something but trying to use something with the information that's there and i'm glad that you mentioned corley's book i'm glad you took something out and then put it out there so we could talk about it and go further with it rather than just reading it and putting it on a shelf you know um no that so i think that you did right by everything that this conference and any conference stands for we go someplace and we're not just passive we're active listeners and we're doing something. The return on investment. What is expected of us? Well, here it is. So I'm I'm glad you 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 went there. Um, so let's talk about that article a little bit. There's so many things in that one that I wanted to expand on, but I, I think it would literally take us all day. Like you said, we we got we got things to do. We, we Saturday, we got things to do. Um, so let me ask you with that. Um and I think you already answered that in terms of like where it came from. And I think that Chief Rhodes was the part of that. Let me focus in on the one section on relationships. I find myself focusing on these more than ever, both on the job and, and in my personal life. So based on kind of what you wrote and then kind of traveling a little bit further on that concept, what do we do well in this space and where do we need to improve? What are your thoughts on that? In terms of relationships? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think this could last a long time. So <laughs> we all know the fire service it, like one of our strongest areas is relationships, the kitchen table, the the crew cohesion, looking out for each other. I think when we become leaders, though, we really struggle. And it's almost what I see is the blind leading the blind. And people are trying to figure it out every step of the way. And there was a quote in my article that I got from Chief Frank Lieb who did a podcast that I was listening to. It's it's the podcast I heard literally right after FDIC. And so it was perfect timing to sneak into the article. But he said something. He said, you know, the the guys don't need more friends. They have enough friends. When you become a leader, it's not your job to be their friend. It's your job to hold them accountable and keep them safe and care about them. And that really struck me because when we think about relationships, it is important to care about the people that you lead, 
but it's also important to hold them accountable and to keep them safe, not be their friend. You can show them you care about them and you can support them and you can listen to them, but you can also continue to lead them appropriately. And I see that as a huge struggle. You have some leaders who just want to be friends, so they don't hold folks accountable. They don't want to piss people off, so they overlook things that they shouldn't overlook. But then you also have people that get into leadership roles and they don't remember or they don't understand the importance of relationships and caring about your people. And in fact, I had a conversation with a one of the leaders in my organization who I admire and I respect and I trust and, you know, I aspire to be more like. And in the conversation, I brought up uh, something about the importance of loving the people you lead and expressing that. Several, it was ironic, like several books I recently read from incredible thought leaders and military leaders all said the same thing. You have to love, and they say, love your men. And, you know, as a female, I probably can get a pass for saying that. Uh, but when I say that, it's not men only, right? It's, it's, it's love the people you lead. But also let them know that. Let them know you love them. And we were having that conversation. He was like, I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's appropriate. And I said, well, hold on. I'll prove it to you. And poor guy, for the next three days, every time I found a quote from, and I looked specifically for military leaders because I feel sometimes if you share it from anything besides a military leader uh, in the fire service, they might roll their eyes. So I, I went back and like pulled up every book that had something that maybe made a mention of the value of loving the people you lead. And I share that to, with them. And uh, to the point where he's like, all right, I get it. Uh, but I, I think that's important. And I think in the fire service specifically, and especially in today's age of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and HR and fear, we are afraid to cross a line that may put us in HR. And we think maybe if you say, I love you, you're going to end up in HR. So people will not say that. And they think it's crazy. And I mean, I, I sometimes am like, man, I don't think they know that this is okay to do. And I don't even think I can do it because they might not know it. And I might find myself in hot water. And that's sad because it is really important to make sure the people that you lead know that you care about them. And it's okay to let them know that you love them. Um, and you're going to look out for them, not be their friend and not be soft, but like, you're going to, like Chief Leap said, you're going to keep them safe. You're going to hold them accountable, but people need to know that you're more than a number. And I think today in the fire service, we're leading in a very sterile manner. And Dr. Brene Brown in her book, and I quoted it in the article as well, uh, her book, Dare to Lead, she shared a story about a colonel in the Air Force who, you know, found that people were saying one thing when they meant something else. And the sterile language being used kept her from understanding what the real problem was. But what she found out was her soldiers were struggling because they were feeling lonely um, during a certain deployment. And initially, the language they used had her thinking they were exhausted and needed a break. And so her initial instinct was to give them a break, you know, send them away, uh, make, further make them lonely and disconnected. But she fortunately had just attended a seminar where they actually talked about language and talked about how sometimes when people say exhausted, 
they may not mean that they're tired from the work pace. They may be exhausted from the disconnection and the loneliness um, and the alienation. So because of that seminar she was at, she probed further and asked more questions. And she found out that it, it was more than being tired from the pace of the work. It was a loneliness. And then as she started further researching, she found that like the first Air Force manual that came out had so many words of connection and empathy and caring about caring about your soldiers, caring about your men. She found the word love in that manual 13 times. And that she said that manual just gave her this like like just struck her and gave her like this deep feeling of connection. And then she goes and reads like the current Air Force manual and they've gotten rid of all of those uh, words that are tied to connection and relationships. And it's so sterilized that, you know, the language is dominated by things like tactical leadership, strategic leadership, operational readiness. And these are the words that I'm seeing in a lot of our manuals. And this is the training that we're receiving as leaders in the fire service. And there's very little out there about the importance of caring about the people you lead and building relationships. And it's okay to love your people and it's okay to tell them that. And so even right now, I'm in my head having this conversation with you. And I'm like, man, when people listen to this, they're going to think I'm a whack. And they're going to think I'm crazy. Chief Rhodes is probably going to delete. No, I'm kidding. But I, I already know because you're not having these or you're not hearing these kinds of conversations so I already know that some people are going to hear it and be very curious um, about my sanity, but it's important. Like, and I think it goes back to what Chief Rhodes said: when you care about the people you lead and you look out for them and you support them and you treat them well, uh, that addresses a lot of the problems we're facing. And and he was right. You know, we're talking a lot about PTSD and we're blaming it on the calls. But it's not the calls. And and that's a fact. I have dove deep into research on PTSD, on military, on deployment, on all this stuff, just trying to understand. And time and time again, the smartest people out there, the greatest researchers, the ones with the most skin in the game are, are reassuring us that humans are built to be able to withstand you know, trauma, we're built to be resilient, but only when we have strong support systems and we have relationships. Uh, in Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, uh, he says something that just always sticks with me and I read it and everything else I read is safety and terror are incompatible. So as long as you feel safe and that safety is with others, you feel like you're a part of something and you're supported and you had a, a group you can withstand any trauma and it's true. And I think, I think that's the big thing that we're missing is ensuring that the people feel safe more than just like safe. Like, Oh, my, my company officer is smart, knows their job. My battalion chief is going to pull me out. It's not that kind of safe. It's I can come to work and I can be myself and I can say what I am feeling without, you know, trying to filter it for them. I can be who I am. If I feel insecure about something, I can express it. I can say, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I need help. Or I can come to work and say, I just had a big event happen in my personal life and I'm struggling. And not be told, we'll go home or not be told, leave your baggage at the door, but actually, you know, brought in like, hey, how can we support you? 
And I, that's the safety that's important. Um, Brene Brown says um, meaningful and authentic relationships. And by that, it means you are free to be your true authentic self rather than who you think the people around you want you to be. And it sounds simple, but it's so incredibly important. I know all of us early in our careers in the fire service specifically, we were trying to be fits, cultural fits for our organizations. Um, We were trying to fit in, be who we thought they wanted us to be. And a lot of us didn't realize that authenticity comes from being who you are. And our leaders have to understand that as leaders, we have to accept who people are. It's not our responsibility to change them to be who we want them to be. It's our responsibility to support everybody within our organization who they are. Another long answer. Sorry. No, but it's, it's, and it's a profound one, especially when you talk about everything there in terms of. All right. Let's, so let's start with the, the challenges that everybody's seeing. You know, we're all seeing this, these challenges of recruitment and retention, you know, keeping these people on or not only hiring and finding the right people, but then retaining them over a longer period of time. And I was just kind of I was having this conversation with somebody recently where we were looking through uh, their their probationary packet and how many drills and skills they were responsible for, how much the paramedic process is. And we're looking through that, what that year looks like. And even then, even as the instructors were looking at going, oh, my God, look, look how far we've come and what we're expecting and demanding of them and what the public's demanding of them. And over the course of just their first year alone and how drastically different it is when you turn back. 10 years ago, 15, especially 20, 25 years ago. It's so much more expansive. And it brought us to the point where the way we did things back then can't be done now because you're not going to recruit them. You're not going to retain them. You're not going to do everything you just talked about. So I think that what I just took from yours is that idea that letting them know, in other words, being deliberate and intentional about saying, hey, whether you want to use the term love or whatever, but there's that solid, I care enough to do this or this or this. And that's a profound way of doing things. So I absolutely think it's appropriate. Absolutely think it's appropriate. Um, and then you also mentioned that, that we're built to be resilient to things. And I, I think that you're right. I think that we're so almost programmed to think that any type of stress is bad when in reality, the truth is we, we do grow from it. You know, that there is obviously the stress and the negative stress and whatnot, but there are opportunities to grow in all the stresses that we're exposed to. But like you said, built with the right social structure behind us. You reminded me of something. I, I mentioned this in my presentation about being able to come to your bosses or come to your team with an, an issue or with something on your mind or with a, something you're struggling with. Years ago, I had a firefighter come to me when I had my first firehouse and he was going through a divorce. And he came to us and he was just you could tell it was one. It was bad. It was very bad. He came to us and as a team, because we were already tight back then, but he came to us and expressed this. And the idea was, well, what do we do? Do we encourage him to take time off? Do we do FMLA? Do we vacation time? The, 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 big, the big decision was, no, no, no. We want him here. We'll take care of him here. When he's off the job, we can only control so much. When he's here, we've got him. We will take care of him. And I remember him saying to me one day, he's like, I'm so mad. I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry. I just want to break something. And I'm thinking, well, that's perfect because all my training involves either acquiring structures or breaking things. That's perfect. And we're able to tie in so much of the training to allow him to cope and to get some of that out. So as much as it was training back then, it was more than that. It transcended that. We came together as a team, as a group, as a, as a social network and helped him 
through that process. Even till today, we still remain very, very tight. So, but had he not been able to be, like you said, safe or to have that feeling of safety to come in and express that, I, I wonder sometimes what would the alternative have been? So I, I'm glad you brought that up, that you have to have that ability of, as you term it in the article, the psychological safety, but the ability to feel safe to say something, safe to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. So, no, it, it's very, it's profound that you brought that up, and it's profound that you, you mentioned the word love and, and the fact that we have to be, and I think you didn't, I didn't say it, but you meant it, being deliberate and intentional about having those conversations, building that network, building that support system, because the relationships are what this is about. And as I come into, I'm in the drop now, so I got seven years left, a little less than seven years, I dwell on the concept of the relationship we built through a career. And I think about a variety of the conversations. I think about the variety of the relationships. I got 400 plus people in my fire department. When I leave, I'm not going to be able to, to maintain all those relationships. But at least, you know, I focus on the single digit number that are going to be the ones that are going to last for the rest of my life, whether our families are friends, whether we live close, whether we start together, whatever. And then I focus on the ones that are, are definitely strong, that I may see them out and just have those those memories of shared experiences that are going to bring us into a good conversation or that might be there for them or they may be here for me in the future, whatever. And then I think about the ones that, you know, I may never see again. And that's fine. That's just life. You know, open, chapters open, chapters closed. But it goes back to those relationships. And and I think that even your article covers it from the top down. And it's it, it's just a powerful thing to talk about. And I don't think it's talked about enough. And I'm glad you dove in there. And I'm glad we're having this conversation and being very intentional about describing the importance of having and nurturing those relationships because they're massively, massively powerful. So I'm, I'm glad you went there. So Yeah, and I want to add something to it because I think it's important. Please. You kind of started to hit on it. So a lot of times we are talking more about mental health for first responders and we're talking a lot about PTSD. And consistently the conversations surrounding PTSD are, you know, the trauma of the job. Nobody should be exposed to that much trauma. Nobody should see that many things. Um, you know, I, I wish my mind could forget what my eyes have seen. We constantly just pointing to the calls and the traumas we experience. And what we're not talking about that is so incredibly important is anywhere you look, uh, not not an opinion-based article, but like a research-based article on PTSD and the development of PTSD, it it, it mentions and discusses that PTSD isn't the result of just an event. It is so much more than that. And Sebastian Younger from his book, Tribe, I think he said it best. He said, PTSD is a disorder of recovery. And with that, it discusses it's more than the event. Um, it's the person before and after the event. And more specifically, it's the support before and after the event the support that that person has experienced before and after that event. And so as you were talking about uh, your member who was going through that really tough time and that really tough divorce, and you're like, man, I don't know what would have happened. Well, that's a prime example. So if he could not come to work and be able to like release some of that and um, share it and feel supported, that's the person that would be more prone to development of PTSD. Because we know all of us can go on a call and all of us can come back and um, have experienced it differently or it impacts us differently. And those are the variables that relate to how we experience it or respond to it. So people who have strong support structures can withstand more. 
people who have weaker support structures cannot. So our members who end up struggling, it's not the cause that's causing them to struggle. It's the support thereafter. It's their mental health before and after. And of course, more than just support, it's things like the amount of sleep that they have, um, their bandwidth, meaning if you work your job and then you work another full-time job and you sleep four hours and you're always go, 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 you're, you're going to struggle. You're not going to process events and you are going to be more susceptible. So I, I think that little piece is just so important. And, and that's the piece that people have to start understanding. It's not about, you know, cause I always think about it when I see stuff that people share online and it irks me, you know, and it's like, nobody should be exposed to this much trauma or I saw something that went around uh, so much about a year ago because I just had a memory and it was like uh, the general population experiences three traumatic events in their lives. First responders experience hundreds each whatever. And it really those messages really annoy me because it's not giving a solution. It's just saying poor us. And how is that going to help anybody? We have to start having more solution based conversations like we're having now. So the value of relationships, but also understanding the value of taking care of yourself, of getting good sleep, of building space so that you can withstand more. So I'm finishing writing this down. <laughs> I usually walk away with things uh, after these conversations. And I think that you just said them right there. And this is what I'm going to walk away with that idea of before and after. You know, what did you do before, whatever it is, and then what are you doing after? That's one thing I'm going to keep in process for a while. But I love the idea of solution-based conversations. I think that's something I'm going to write down in my, in, my, in my little – I have a little notepad in my phone of little either words or phrases that I just love. And that's, my I think, one of my new favorite ones, solution-based conversations. Because like you said, it's one thing to just talk about a bunch of things. What are you doing about it? Exactly. What, what are you actively doing about them? So yeah. I'm glad that you I'm glad you said that. Yeah, stop just complaining and stop like <laughs> victimizing ourselves. If you're going to want to generate conversation, give us something to to build off of it. You know, talk about what we can do better, not just what we're doing wrong. Yep. So on that note, my next question is this, and again, it goes back to Chief Holton making that comment about the you know, tactical takeaways. So in terms of some of the things you talked about in your articles, and you just talked about a few, are there other things that come into your mind on how we can practically deploy some of these ideas you just had in there? And again, you, you mentioned a couple of them, but as we dive into some of those things, what other things can we tactically deploy to practice some of these things we're talking about? No, thanks for asking, because uh, that's really what I want to get to a lot of times, because I want to give people takeaways or I want to share some of the things I've learned. Uh, so... You know, I, I first of all, you, you and I talk a lot about sleep. Um, oh. Sleep is so important. Sleep is incredibly important. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're you're really hurting yourself tremendously. And you know, if you're talking about PTSD, we have an inbuilt system of therapy. Our REM sleep. When when we sleep and we get into the REM, which dominates the second half of the night, so you can't just sleep five hours a night and feel refreshed, like you have to have at least seven hours to get your full REM sleep. So more sleep, but simplistic, sim more simply, uh, it's funny when you can't say a word that's so <laughs> more simply, you know, it's some like key takeaways, especially for leaders and building relationships. It's not hard. It's simple things. And Stephen Covey in his book, The Culture Code, 
Uh, he does an incredible job laying that out. And what I loved about that book is he gives examples from many organizations from SEAL teams to Disney Pixar's. So, you know, military to commercial. And he shares the things that these organizations have in common that lead to their success. And what I appreciated about it was some of the most simple gesture gestures leader can do leaders can do to share with uh, their people that they care. And it's about active listening. Um, he, he explains it's profuse eye contact, having few interruptions, thank yous. Uh, throughout the book, the value of thank yous and just expressing thank you uh, as a leader w- was just so critically important. So for me, those are simple, but they're huge takeaways, right? listening more, listening to your people as often as you can, thanking them for what they do, profuse eye contact. And the big one that I have to work on constantly is few interruptions. Um, Cause that, that's what they found was a, a big key contributor, a big finding in those strong teams that performed well and cared about each other um, and had good emotional health. And Simon Sinek's book, Eaters Lead Last, I think everybody should read that. Every leader should read that. And he, too, you know, mentions all those simple things that leaders can do to just show that they care. And it's about recognizing that when you become a leader, and that was the whole basis of the book, is that when you become a leader, it's no longer about you. Your responsibility is to the people you lead and making sure they're taken care of. And that's why leaders eat last. You make sure that your people eat first. You make sure that your people have a voice. You make sure that your people are cared about. And it was so fascinating um, when he expressed that the greatest sources of stress for people uh, in organizations often comes from poor leadership. And then he went on and, you know, he used some data and some biomarkers to express the value. When people feel cared about by their leaders, um, they become... healthier uh, because they're they're giving off like oxytocin. Um, they're giving off all these feel good hormones, uh, which help them to connect, be more empathetic um, and just work closer with others. However, he explained that when the opposite happens, when you don't feel safe, when your leadership has you just on edge and worried about making mistakes consistently, uh, oxytocin, all those feel good hormones are suppressed and your body releases cortisol. And with that, you go into that higher state of arousal, higher stress, uh, which just negatively impacts everything. But what's crazy about it is it actually pauses things like oxytocin. So you're unable to connect with people. You're unable to be empathetic. But what's scarier is, and you and I have talked a lot about, um, you know, heart rate variability and the value of resting and taking care of yourself. When your body's releasing that cortisol, it's also putting you in fight or flight. When your system goes into fight or flight, it's exhausting everything. Um, It's making you dysfunctional. Uh, It's lowering your heart rate variability, which when your heart rate variability lowers, everything just falls apart. And you then become more susceptible for things like PTSD, depression, suicide. So I know I just made it super complex. But again, it just goes back to if you're a leader, care about your people recognize it's not about you it's about them and the simple things you can do like just expressing gratitude to them thank you eye contact 
listening to them, few interruptions, and still holding them accountable. In that book, Stephen Covey says, you know, um, and I'm not going to remember the 19 words, um, but it's in the article. He says, you know, the most valuable 19 words a leader can express to, to their people is, hey, I'm giving you this feedback um, because I care about you and I know that you can achieve these results. So it doesn't mean just saying, hey, great job. You know, uh, if they don't do a great job, give them feedback. Say, hey, look, you could have done better. And I'm giving you this feedback because I believe in you and I know that you can do better. Uh, and they said when you when you express it that way, it really inspires people to do more. Yeah. So can I give you one more takeaway? Please, please. Absolutely. Uh, I think you and I talked about this um, play. This is something that uh, it, we're not talking about a lot. And so I try to plug it where wherever I get to have a conversation. So I am consistently, constantly just looking for ways uh, to improve mental health, emotional health, all of that good stuff. And time and time again, as I was researching, I kept coming back to heart rate variability, which we talked about a minute ago. And the cool thing about heart rate variability is it is literally the only biomarker, the only thing we can measure that is a predictor of our resilience. That is a predictor of our capacity to move through trauma or end up with PTSD. So if you have high heart rate variability, um, that's a predictor that you will be more resilient, that you will be able to withstand more trauma. You'll be able to do more badass things um, and come away healthy. Uh, if you have a low heart rate variability, uh, that that is a predictor of PTSD, depression, anxiety, um, that's a predictor of struggle. So how do we improve our heart rate variability? Um, fascinatingly, it's not as hard as you would think. It's about spending more time in the parasympathetic nervous system, spending more time resting and recovering. Uh, again, it means leadership that doesn't make you afraid, um, leadership that doesn't make you worried all day, um, but also play is a huge recommendation. And there's a ton of research now coming out about the value of play. Stuart Brown wrote a book on play. He's got a TED Talk as well. Um, there's another book called um, Play It Away, A Workaholic's Cure for Anxiety, where he just cited um, Stuart Brown and so many other researchers. But the thing about play is when you are engaged in play, which there's no one specific definition for play, but there are characteristics of it. Um, simply any activity that when you do it, you lose track of time. Um, you want it to continue. There's no specific purpose for it other than play. Um, and also uh, you lose a sense of worrying what other people think. So uh, when you engage in play, that truly puts your sympathetic nervous system to rest. And it maximizes that parasympathetic nervous system, our recovery system. Uh, but what's so cool um, from all the research is, and my, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, what's the opposite of uh, play? And um, people think the opposite of play is work. Uh, no, the opposite of play is depression. So uh, make sure that we're playing more. And the recommendations like, you know, I don't know how to play. I'm an adult. I've been an adult for so long. I can't figure out what to do. Uh, they say take a play history. Like what what were things that you did when you were younger that you enjoyed? Um, think about those and maybe practice those. Uh, I never surfed this summer. I'm learning how to surf. And I went out with my friend Calvin a couple weeks ago. And that was true play. Like it hit every characteristic. 
Um, while out there, I didn't want it to end. You know, I was screwing it up, but I didn't care what anybody thought because I was having so much fun. I remember like there was a minute where we were just sitting on the boards, not doing anything, but just sitting out there. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like being here right now is absolutely amazing. But in the fire service, in our current world, we don't think it's okay to take time for ourselves, but it's more than okay. It's necessary. It's important. So for me, like if there was a huge takeaway that I'd want people to grasp and implement, it would be make sure you filter and factor in time each day uh, to do the things that you enjoy at work. And how about like talk about relationships at work, do things, do play. Like it doesn't have to be all serious all day. Um, I mean, we see, I, we had pickleball court at one of my firehouses. There's been, you know, volleyball, there's all kinds of things. Um, but take time, like as a company to come together and play. We used to do dodgeball on the station years ago. We used to close all the doors and do dodgeball. And that's since progressed to pickleball. Pickleball is very popular down here now, just like awesome. it was up with you. So you said a few things there. I just want to, you, you triggered a few memories. Um, you know, uh, before I read uh, Simon, uh, Simon Sinek's book, uh, Leaders Eat Last, I, I, the only reason I read it wasn't because of him, because my father years ago used to always tell me, troops eat first. Troops eat first. He has a military background. He always just uses, you know, it's, 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 it goes back to the words we use and the things that you remember about those influential people. And they always just say troops eat first. And when I saw that book, it was just the reverse of the leaders eat last. I'm like, oh, I got to read that. And then that kind of get, got me into looking into the Simon Sinek's books and everything. Um, I was reviewing some of my notes from my, my talk with Nick Papa, because what you said about play and how the things you choose to do, the one, the things you need to play with need to be just one of those things that just draw you in and, and just shut off everything else. So you have to focus. He was mentioning things like jujitsu and rock climbing and the reasons he liked those, not only were they the good, but you have to be in there. You have to be focused on them. Otherwise you're going to get hurt. Yeah. You've you got to focus on it, but, but the advantage is it takes you away from all the other stresses, the job, everything. So I, I read that book, by the way, I did get that book play, took a lot of notes from it. So it's great. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that I, I'm so glad you listed a ton of those tactical takeaways that I, I think that is important about listening to podcasts like these or focus on the listener and things you need to walk away with. So as we get closer to the end of this conversation, I think we talked about a bunch of this, but um, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you two more questions and then kind of just drift off here. From your perspective, and I know this gets asked a lot, but I, I love asking it because I want to see where your brain goes. In terms of leadership, what would you say is one or a few of your favorite or your think most impactful leadership traits that we have as leaders? You know, you sent me this question ahead and I remember I looked at it and I was, I came up with some stuff quickly and then I walked away. And then right now when you just asked, I was like, Oh, I should have done more on that. Cause I remember my first thought when you sent this was um, that video of Colin Powell, where right away he says, trust and no ifs, ands or buts, no question, no thought. Like he went right to trust. Um, you know, trust is so important. Uh, we talked about it already. I think for me, something that I'm just building and working on is like what Chief Leap said is you, the people that, you know, report to you have enough friends. They don't need another friend. Um, they need somebody who is going to be competent, who is going to hold them accountable, keep them safe. And then tying with that, because Chief Leap actually does this, he exemplifies it, is caring about people. Um, so on, on top of that, uh, a leader that truly cares about their people and the, 
that values and wants their people to be successful. So, you know, the, the, those to me are just some key leadership traits is caring, um, but caring about them enough to hold them accountable. And the thing I'm doing now that I'm working on the most that I think all of us need to work on is just being better active listeners. There's there's a lot to be said with what you just said there, caring about them enough to hold them accountable. That's that right there. If, if people are walking away with things, among the other things you you, you mentioned there, and in having just completed like a bunch of officer development courses for our, our new officers in, in our art department, if, if I could choose one thing they walked away with, I think that would be it. Caring enough about the people you work with, the people you lead, the people you're mentoring, the people you're you're you're, you're in your charge to hold them accountable. That yes, hundred percent. So, and, and, and I'm, I'm cutting that off because I know we can go, we we can literally go the rest of the day. So I'm trying to try to try to honor the the, the hour ish time frame here. But my last question is this, and I, I love asking this question for you. What are your concerns in the fire service? I mean, what these days at this point in your your career right now, what keeps you up at night? What are your concerns right now? And that so when I read that question. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that you you gave me a little heads up on some of the questions. My Absolutely. the first thing that went to my mind, and one of the things that has been a concern for me lately, is watching people who want to get promoted for the promotion, for the title, and my my fear is, and for me as a battalion chief, my success is dependent on my company officers and their knowledge and their ability to do their job. Because my job when I arrive on scene is not to tell them how to do their job, not to tell them their tactics. My job is strictly strategy, big picture, keeping them safe. And one of my big fears is having one of these people become one of my company officers who is not competent, who will not make the right decision. And you know, how do I lead that? So that that's definitely something that keeps me up at night. But and as I thought, because I actually thought deep about this last night when I read the question, I, I don't think it's new. Right. I think the fire service has always had diverse personalities, uh, people who get promoted for promotion's sake, people who do the work and care enough to get promoted. So with that, I was like, let me not worry so much about that. It's always happened. It's going to be OK. Um, I think. Right now, the other thing that I think about a lot that concerns me is understanding. I understand the value of diversity and inclusion, and I know there's a lot of fatigue on those subjects, a lot of irritation, a lot of conversations about merit matters. And, you know, and I I worry that sometimes people will look at me with each promotion that I, I obtain and and not realize the work that I've put in and that I've earned what I, where I am. And they'll look at me and just be like, yeah, you know, she's diversity. Right. But for me, I'm seeing that as we're trying to become more diverse and more inclusive, there is like you and I talked about earlier, that fear of saying the wrong thing, that fear of being labeled a racist or sexist and ending up in HR. And so we are becoming more diversified, but also more sterilized in that we're not truly getting to know and care about each other. We're keeping safe distances, using safe language, and that's not inclusion. And 
that's not developing the relationships that we just spent the last hour talking about. So I hope that we will continue, you know, to become uh, a more inclusive service. We will continue to see more people that not just in terms of sex and race, but you know it and I know it like we're hiring people who have no volunteer experience, no mechanical experience, no military experience, they're joining the fire service and they've never, you know, started a chainsaw before. And these are men, right? You know, historically it was like, oh yeah, women, that's, they never, but it's men who've never started a chainsaw before, never, you know, use power tools, don't have the mechanical thinking, um, but they're bringing other skills and they're, they are learnable. So, I just I just hope that we will continue to accept differences and understand that difference differences make us better. They don't take away from anything. And I read something and it talked about the importance of hiring not cultural fits, but cultural ads. And I thought back historically, the fire service, when they looked to hire somebody and people interviewed they were looking for cultural fits. Who's going to fit in? Not cultural additions. And I, I thought it was really prolific and powerful as I read uh, why we should look for cultural additions. Um, because they're going to help us innovate and grow and become better. And, and it may be hard, right? It, like you have to you have to be uncomfortable for a little while. You have to learn. You have to work with somebody. You have to teach them. But the value that differences bring is so incredibly important. So I, I just hope that as a fire service, we will continue um, to become more inclusive and not just, you know, shut down and fear the change and be upset about the changes that are happening. I can't think of a better way to, to, to end this this conversation we've had but just with what you just said. I mean, and a lot of it spoke to me that the, the the fatigue part of the the DEI, the diversity equity, which we know it's important, but sometimes we feel like we're just it's being smacked, it's smacking us in the face in such a way we're like, oh god, not again. When it shouldn't be like that, it should be looking at the having a positive perspective, looking at the positive sides rather than oh god, it's something I have to do. And there's a lot you you put in there, and I I I. I I'm glad because this is, again, more things I'm going to walk away with in terms of uh, some of these things, because, you know, I'm a firm believer in the what you just talked about in terms of the differences that add spice to what we do, add that, that, that do more character and allow us to grow by adding different things we didn't see before or not used to or whatever. And it just, it's an opportunity for us to to become that much better, whether it's knowing more about the culture that you happen to work around or just personal or whatever. But there's a lot there. And I'm glad that you 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 ended and capped this off with that concept. It really really ends it really it really puts this all together at the end um so i think we're up i don't know somewhere around an hour or so but uh let me ask you this uh, as we kind of come to close uh what what are you what's on your radar these days what what's where are you going to be where are you where are you planning on next what's on your radar what's what's in the future for you my spring was crazy like the week before fdic i was at the national fire academy for an efo class and then after FDIC, I have literally traveled every four day. Uh, I'm going um, to South Bend, Indiana uh, next week for a conference. At the end of June, I have another one. So I'm actually really looking forward to July because I don't have anything on the books uh, <laughs> until October. And I need a break so bad. Uh, so I just finished my third class with EFO. So the next class is the applied research. 
And I am tremendously excited about that because it's another opportunity to find an area in our business that we can just find solutions for. But uh, I, I got a contract with Fire Engineering a year ago uh, to write a book on first responder mental health. And since getting that contract, I started EFO. So it's been a slow process. But after that third class, I literally have dove into the book. Uh, I've been trying every day to write a little bit. So I really hope this summer to finish this book. And I'm really excited about it because, again, Chief Rhodes inspired me to do what I'm doing and share what needs to be shared, not what you expect. So it's not going to be like the typical, mm-hmm. you know, this is depression. This is how you solve it. it it's going to di- it's going to dive deeper into that. And actually, you know, the article that we talked about today, that's going to be a chapter. Um, there's going to be a chapter on play, a chapter on heart rate variability, on gratitude. I really want the book to focus more about how we can be healthier. And I get asked so like I get asked to consult a lot and it's overwhelming and exhausting. Like literally people message and they're like, hey, we want to start a behavioral health program. What should we do? And it's so fatiguing for me. So my goal for this book is to be like, hey, buy this book. Uh, And so I just put out a request for policies uh, that if anybody has sample policies of peer support programs, facility canines, potentially traumatic events. At the end of the book, I want to include a resource of these sample policies because we know there's no one size fits all, but um, you know, why reinvent the wheel? So I've already gotten a couple of those and I'm glad that I got to plug that here because, you know, if anybody works for a department and you have helped to create a policy, even if it's imperfect, because all of our policies are imperfect. um, But if you have something that you think is a value, I I would love to include it as just a sample resource in the back of the book. I think that's going to be a big value to to this, in, like the fire engineering community. I can't wait to go. When I, I, first of all, it shouldn't take you much time to do that because you're not busy at all. You know, EFO, work full time, travel around. You should be able to get that, you know, knocked out in the next month or two. So I'm, I'm not even worried for you. <laughs> well, and I also forgot, look, um, this is evaluation season. And I have eight officers and my evaluations take an entire day like to write. So yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it, you know, it's funny you mentioned evaluations. I know we're we're ending, but I, I do the same. When I'm doing an evaluation, I, I don't mess around. I, I put a lot of work, a lot of narrative, a lot of content in there. That's important. It's not just you don't pencil whip those. So for the listeners out there, as we end this up, another tactical takeaway when doing evaluations, evaluations are an opportunity. They shouldn't be a hassle. They're an absolute opportunity. Not only are they something that you should be doing, you get to do them, you get to offer, and you get to help somebody become better and, and give them the two cents. So like you started off in the beginning, you get to be the person that gives them the critique, that gives them because you care about them and you want to hold them accountable. So once again, you're just you're helping wrap up this, this whole thing by the, the little nuggets you're throwing in at the end. I'm so glad you said that. We have a lot of people who will say like, oh, evaluations don't matter. I've got officers who are like, I don't care what my evaluation says. And you have people say, oh, they don't matter. But every time I've ever given somebody an evaluation that I put heart into, one-on-one, they have told me how grateful they were. And I had one uh, I had one driver who came back and said, I printed that and showed it to my dad. This is a grown man who's tough, who like, you know, was the first one to call BS on things that I say and do. But he told me he showed it to his dad. And 
I know they mean a lot to people, even though people don't, it's not popular to say they do. It means a lot to me. Like when, now if I have a, if I have a supervisor who writes a pencil whipped evaluation, whatever, cool, that's you. But when I've had that leader and my last, my last battalion chief before I got promoted, he put heart in the evaluations. And when I read them, like to know that he recognized these things and to know that he paid attention and he valued them inspired me, inspired me to keep living up to, you know, what he expected from me. And, and I didn't want to let him down. So I'm glad, I'm glad that that keyed in with you because uh, evaluations are so daggone important, no matter what people say. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. hundred percent. All right. So I, I, as we're close this up, um, I just did to recap. And again, I have a page and a half of notes. So thank you for being the person that's already made me cross over one page to two page. Thank you for all the, yeah, a lot, a lot of, I got to change out pens and more ink and, but that's good. So we, we talked about a lot of here. We talked about being a student in leadership. We talked about uh, some significant things about even when you were starting out, how, how you've seen, you've maybe you've thought at one point that your problems may seem insignificant compared to the world. But the reality of it is that's the important thing about what we do, making sure we don't let that get into our minds, that people still need that social connection. They still need us to reach out. They still need us to have that bond and ask if things are okay and keep up with it. So there's a lot there in that. Um, we mentioned a ton of books, a ton of reading materials, uh, along with the article. So if you're listening to this, I encourage you, please, to read that article. It, it not only is a great content itself, but it drifts off into multiple areas that I think if you're reading it and you're interested, there's a lot more areas to dive into. Uh, I, I'm not, again, not trying to blow your skirt up again, Dina, but the way you wrote the article is important, too. If your people are writing articles out there, take a note here. There's references in there. There's references that not only justify the material that's in there, but give you an idea of where else to go. So it was really done uh, in a really well done way. Um, I love that we talked about tactics to walk away from solution based conversation. This was a solution based conversation and it felt really good to have those tactical things to walk away with. And the last thing about there, I think you you quoted it multiple times with the idea that we don't need more friends. Our, our folk out there don't need more friends. They need leaders. And, um, and you just you summed it up in a beautiful way. So that all being said, um, we're coming up. I don't even know what the time is, but I don't care. It's been a great conversation. So um, any final thoughts before we close out? I think uh, we should just stop because we're going to keep going on. It was a great conversation. Thank you, Stephen. It was truly an honor to get to have this conversation with you. I enjoyed it. I can't wait to listen to it. I'm glad we don't live closer because I think we would hang out more and we'd be just going out and getting a cup of coffee at hours on end, talking about more things, trying to change the world. I'm kind of glad we live in separate areas because <laughs> we'd never get our books written ever. Oh, forget it. Forget it. All right. So as we close up here one more time, just to make sure you understand, uh, uh, Fridays, second Fridays of the month, uh, the Perspectives on Leadership podcast is out there through Fire Engineering. I want to thank FDIC. Thank Chief Halton. Thank you, uh, Diane. Thank you, everybody from Clarion for letting us have this platform. Uh, we know it provides value. It feels really good to have these conversations. And for those that are out there, uh, keep, keep your ear open for uh, uh, Dina's book. Keep uh, any uh, ears open for any research stuff she needs help with in terms of surveys for the EFO program. We'll make sure to blast it out there uh, in a very un unapologetic way. And uh, other than that, uh, thank you for listening. We hope you got a lot out of this. Uh, feel free to reach out to us anytime. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody.